I just want this guy to honor the law and honor the Constitution, something that he doesn't seem to be very fond of doing. That, that's what we're asking. That's downstate Republican Representative Darren Bailey. This is WBBM's In-Depth, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. I'm Cisco Cotto. This week, we continue our weekly discussion on COVID-19 as countries around the world start to reopen. There are warnings from public health experts about opening too much too soon. We'll take a look at how the pandemic may turn the open space concept for workplaces into a thing of the past. Many industries have changed dramatically in the past month, including airlines and the auto industry. We'll talk about what they may look like when we discover the new normal. More kids and teens are using the Internet amid the COVID crisis. We'll get tips on how to keep them safe online. Also, there's been quite a bit of talk about a meat shortage in the U.S., how it could happen soon. Let's begin with what was perhaps the biggest COVID-19 story in Illinois, the back and forth between Governor Pritzker and a downstate state representative. Darren Bailey sued Governor Pritzker over his second stay-at-home order, saying it violated state law. It went beyond the governor's authority, and a downstate judge ruled in Bailey's favor, though the governor has appealed Governor Pritzker had some strong words for Representative Bailey. Representative Darren Bailey's decision to take to the courts to try and dismantle public health directives designed to keep people safe is an insult to all Illinoisans who have been lost during this COVID-19 crisis. And it's a danger to millions of people who may get ill because of his recklessness. Let's hear from Representative Bailey now. My first question to you, Representative, what is your reaction to the governor's reaction? Well, uh, the governor, with his uh, failed ability to lead our state, is just looking for anyone and anything to blame, including taking up the COVID situation for uh, for the reckless uh, economic state that our uh, that our state's in. It's it's a disaster and it's a shame. He's got it. He's got a tool with the Illinois Department of Public Health called the Pandemic Influenza Preparedness and Response Plan, and that plan is law. It's it's developed to implement the situation through our county health departments to take care of exactly what's going on. So is your opinion and the motive for the lawsuit, is it that there's a legal issue here? Is it a personal issue where you just don't like it? What's behind the lawsuit? It's 100% constitutional. There was Emergency Management Agency Act passed by the General Assembly in the late 70s, and it limited the governor's powers to 30 days. Uh, he he went through those. I was fine with it. He's extended it. He's destroying our economy and uh, the people. And, and there's another mechanism by which his single totalian rule uh, can be implemented, and that's through this plan. Would you have advocated him bringing the General Assembly back into session, even a quick one, to extend that authority, the emergency power? Well, at first, I thought that's what was necessary. But then once we discovered this plan, uh, that's not necessary. He needs to uh, relinquish uh, his control and turn it over to the Illinois Department of Public Health and let them do their thing in each county and on a county by county basis, you know, as per the uh, health requirements and needs of each area. The governor says, and state health officials too, if this order is lifted, more people are going to get sick, not only here in the Chicago area, but also downstate. More people are going to be sick, more people are going to die, and, and so it's necessary. And that's why the, the governor used that term recklessness when he, uh, he talked about your lawsuit, saying it's going to lead to more people getting sick and dying. The only recklessness taking place is our governor's, as the judge said, shredding the Constitution. That's what's reckless. There is a plan in place that needs to be honored, and that's a 120-page document. It spells this thing out to a T, 
but the governor chooses to uh, to want the glory and, and the press of covering this himself and, and uh, you know, feeding us the information that he wants to feed us and refusing to give us what we ask for. So it sounds like part of the issue here is that this is being done statewide. Would you have less of a problem if it was done uh, county by county or, or maybe even town by town? The, the law, uh, this plan, uh, proposes it to be done that the county health department has the – I just want – this guy to honor the law and honor the constitution something that he doesn't seem to be very fond of doing that's that's what we're asking this is going to continue being in the news as it works its way up the legal food chain thank you so much for being with us state representative darren bailey of downstate Louisville. now to the national picture of coronavirus dr anthony fauci says the fall could be really bad we're all pushing forward to summer but he's looking forward to the fall and he says it may not be a good one Let's get some details on that. Michelle Cortez is here, a health reporter with Bloomberg News based in Minneapolis. Michelle, what is Dr. Fauci saying? He's saying that this virus is not going to go away. It is well seated throughout the entire world. And while we might see a drop in cases as things get warmer and the air is more humid and the virus is harder to transmit, that's not going to eliminate it entirely. So this is here for a while. And that could be, I mean, you're talking the fall. It could even be into next year, into 2021. It's absolutely going to be into 2021. What they're concerned about is that we're going to actually get a double dose of COVID-19 infections and um, and traditional influenza. So you might be really sick and you don't know which which virus is causing it. Yeah, and that might send you to the hospital thinking it's COVID, thereby tying up a place where someone with COVID could actually be. Exactly. And the thing is, is you don't know how you're spreading it either. So how careful does everybody have to be? I mean, maybe we're all going to have to go back into lockdown is the concern if things start getting out of hand again. Interesting that a subject that no one really ever wants to talk about, whether it's in a pandemic or otherwise, and that is having your papers in order, a living will, all of those sorts of documents, doctors and lawyers now saying, hey, it's time if you don't have this in place yet. Absolutely. It's one of those things that people need to think about, especially as we're learning more and more about how people who are on ventilators eventually do in this disease. The majority of them do die, and the people who who don't die can have a long road to recovery. So it's important for everyone to sit down with their loved ones and talk about what they really want and what's important to them. You also have to remember that patients who have coronavirus now who are in the hospital are in there by themselves. So you really want to have it nailed down before you get to that point. Yeah, you need to get it done. It's not the sort of thing where you can go into the hospital and say, okay, what do you want us to do here? Exactly. Your family needs to know what's important to you and how you want to live your life. And that's true regardless of the coronavirus situation. They're hard conversations to have, but we really all need to have them. A lot of people have been using food banks because of everything going on with the pandemic. You also have food banks needing more money, but getting more money. There, there are challenges, though, and that is with volunteers. The, the virus is actually causing some food banks to shut down because of lack of volunteers. Exactly. It's one of those areas where you are getting huge numbers of people. So many people need food support. The numbers of unemployed Americans is just astonishing that we've never seen before. And if you're not getting income, you can't go to the grocery store. So where do those folks turn? And they're turning in droves to these food banks. But people who are healthy don't want to be in droves of people where they might pick up coronavirus. So it's this catch-22 situation. Everybody needs it, but nobody actually wants to go there. I want to ask you about this news out of Britain. So far, it seems like most children have no reaction or a very subtle reaction to COVID-19. But now they're talking about this inflammatory condition that they're seeing among kids in the U.K.? 
Yeah, we are learning more and more about the coronavirus. It does cause an overreaction of the immune system in some patients. We're seeing in, in some young adults and, and younger kids that the first the first symptom that you're getting is a stroke, which is, you know, astonishing. That's something that you really never see in young people. And this overactive inflammatory response, it's like other rare conditions that we see, and basically you just have to calm down the entire immune system. The problem is, is if doctors don't know to be looking for that, then they don't know how to go about treating it. There are many unknowns, and it's going to be a while, at least it seems, until we get some answers. Thank you, Michelle Cortez. Jennifer Jolly is here now. She's a USA Today Tech Life columnist based in San Francisco. Many kids are home now doing their schoolwork from home, and they are online more than ever How can parents keep them safe online, especially because mom and dad can't necessarily always be around the child, always looking at what they are viewing online. Let's get some tips here. Jennifer, let's begin right where the Internet comes into the home, the router. Is there anything that can be done there to keep kids safe? Absolutely. Um, Internet service providers like Fios or Xfinity, they give you router level settings that let you control what happens on your home Wi-Fi network. And those are fairly easy to turn on, turn off, decide to enable certain sites or not. Uh, not too complicated. You don't need a tech degree, degree to use those. So those, that's a really, really good place to start. What about the websites that your kids are normally on? Let's say you do that at the router. It's certainly it's going to help, but it's not going to filter everything. Is, is there a way that you can go on, uh, say, YouTube or other sites that your kids may hang out on and do any sort of parental controls? There are. You, you know, there are add-ons that you can use. Um, kids safe sites, you know, YouTube kids. The site says it's kid-friendly, but inappropriate content does slip through. So my recommendation for YouTube kids in particular is to limit it to particular channels and have their time on YouTube kids be a time when they're in that shared space, when they're in the living room, when they're in the kitchen. Um, Messenger Kids is another one. It gives kids a Control, it gives you control over the people that your kids are allowed to chat with online, but it also gives kids a little outlet for chat um, that isn't quite as scary as some of the other outlets that they might be looking into. And then other kid-friendly chat programs include things like Blinks, Cocoon, and Franktown Rocks. Um, if your kids do play online games, make sure that you've read their rules and community standards. And then there are also kid-friendly browsers that limit search results. So those are good to, to check into as well. Yeah, the chatting thing is interesting because you, you have two chat issues. You have your kids' friends who are trying to get in touch with them, and then you also have, in some of these games, chat features where the child, 8, 9, 10 years old, may be playing some kind of an innocuous sports game, and the next thing you know, some stranger is trying to chat with them. It's That is so weird, and that has happened to so many of my friends during the past few weeks. You know, they're on, kids are playing an online video game that is totally appropriate for their age, and parents have no idea that these chat windows are running next to it, and the chat windows are creepy. I mean, it's disgusting, there's a lot of porn, there's a lot of people, you know, kind of fishing for this kind of interaction, weird, crazy interaction with kids. They can talk to adults so there are, it's really important to know what video games your kids are playing and then for you to look in the settings of whether the chat is turned on or off. You can disable it. It's often a little 
clunky and, and confusing to try to do that and to try to really dig down on that. So add-ons um, such as a kid-safe browser or doing something um, within that particular device, whether it's Windows, Google Safe Search settings, Apple Screen Time, something that allows you to use parental controls, that can really help that specific problem. And then the other thing I tell everybody is the same rules that exist in real life. Don't talk to strangers. That's a big one, right? And kids are fine with that. You know, I'm not allowed to talk to a stranger. I'm not allowed to take candy from a stranger. Same rules apply online, whether it's a chat window, somebody sends you an email or a text message. No talking with strangers, period. Yeah, that's good. I hadn't even thought about that. It's a good boundary to set. And I'm sure that that connects with kids in a really positive way because parents, I think, are struggling for how do I explain to my kid how to be protected online without letting them know about all of the bad people who are out there who may be trying to prey on them? Yeah, so it's don't talk to strangers. Never share personal information online. Don't share photos online. Don't follow or friend anyone you don't know. And, you know, if you allow that gaming chat with known friends and family, Make sure they, that the other rule is keep all chats strictly about the game and kind of warn them, hey, if somebody wants to know where you live or wants to know what you're wearing or anything that's not appropriate and come get one of the parents. What about the devices? We've talked about the routers where the Internet comes into the house. We've talked about some of the games and, and browsers and that sort of stuff, even some of the websites. But what about the devices themselves? Devices are a great place to lock down child safety settings. So um, phones and tablets, Apple Screen Time for iOS or Google Family Link for Android. If you need more features, you can look for paid applications, things like Bark, Web Watcher, or Cisco's router level OpenDNS. That takes a little bit of tech savvy, that the Cisco router. But Bark and Web Watcher are both specifically to give you an extra layer as a parent to protect your kids online. Give us an example. You say Apple screen time. What's what would what exactly would that do? Well, you can go into Apple screen time and you can say, all right, so here's how I'm going to use parental controls on my smartphone. You can limit your, your kid's smartphone use. You can reduce their screen time. You can make it so they only have access to specific child safe sites. Um, you can say that, you know, let's say you let them go on Instagram. You let your you know, teenage daughter go on Instagram for 30 minutes a day. After that 30 minutes, she's locked out of Instagram. Or they can go on YouTube Kids for a certain amount of time. They're locked out. Um, violent content, chat activity, things like that. You can, in, you can tweak a setting or two so that they can't do that at all through Apple or Google Family Link app. You know, there's these times that I'm thinking about this. I have three young kids, the age 10 and under, and there's times I just feel paranoid. And I'm wondering, am I really paranoid or do parents need to be vigilant, especially with young kids? You're not paranoid. It's the same. Think about it in the offline world. You, when your child is old enough to, say, walk to school on their own, you're really strict about the rules. You don't take a ride from someone else. You, It's the same in the online world. You are not paranoid. You are protecting your kids, and, and that's really our job as parents to do that. 
And then you're also teaching them how to be good digital citizens. So it's a new set of rules we didn't grow up with, but it's critical to understand them. And then really another big, big part of this is we all feel like our kids are always showing us how to actually do things online. You know, they're so much more tech savvy than we are. But having an open conversation with them, establishing the ground rules, and then really sticking with those you can figure this out. You can master this and you can protect them online. You can certainly do it. You just have to stay vigilant. You have to be persistent. You have to roll with all of the major changes that have happened now with all those kids at home. Speaking of major changes, office spaces are radically changing and that's only going to continue in a post-pandemic world. Tom Gimbel, founder and CEO of LaSalle Network here in Chicago. Tom, just want to find out about this open office concept that has been so hot for so many years. Is that going to be a thing of the past? Yeah, there's no doubt that it has to. And and one of the big things that people aren't talking about is the open area kitchen, which has become such a trendy area, kind of like a, a, a new house with a great room off the living room and, and how people operate that way. And then just the traditional open, open uh, floor plan that'll be going back a little bit more to cubicles, either with closed off walls or just with pieces of plexiglass separating the desk so people can't, you know, breathe on people and, and things like that. I'm sure you'll have some people exploring what people wanted to achieve with the open office concept and how they can get that if they do indeed go back to some form of cubicles. Well, that's going to be the real challenge is that contrary to some, some naysayers, the, the point of the open floor plan was easy proximity to talk to coworkers, to approach coworkers, to sit in a cluster. And, and a lot of companies have created small meeting areas, not even conference rooms, but where you'll have three or four chairs right next to each other and or sleeping ba- or uh, sleeping bags, um, um, beanbag type stuff. And those types of things are going to be gone. And so it's going to be hallways that go one way and other ones go the other way. Then it's really going to change the dynamic uh, in a lot of ways. Better than working from home, better than not being allowed to leave your house, but it's definitely going to be a little bit colder than it has been for the foreseeable future. Now, no one wants a pandemic in order to get these changes, but I would imagine for some people who are not fans of the open office concepts and uh, all of that open space, all that meeting space, you know, they, they want an area to get their work done and, and they want that to be sort of closed off. And that's actually maybe a positive thing. Maybe it'll make them more productive. Well, I don't think it'll be like that. And the reason being is companies aren't going to go in and build offices. And there's only so much you can do with the furniture in which you have. And remember, when companies come back into the office, it takes it can take up to three to four months to get brand new furniture implemented and to put have construction crews go in and build walls. So that's not going to happen. But if you can visualize two desks looking at each other and then a giant piece of plexiglass that goes maybe four or five feet tall above the, the desk that just stops it from breathing, sneezing, um, spitting to be crude, but things that, that may happen when you're having casual conversations. And that'll really stop people. And there just won't be conversations where you're grabbing somebody in the middle of an office and, and having a, a quick conversation. For the foreseeable future, I think over a period of time, it'll revert back to, to normal over six months or a year. But the companies are definitely getting ready for return to work in the next 30 to 60 days. And, and these types of things will be in effect. The question is, is it six or nine months or will it be in effect longer? And how long will changes in airlines be in effect? As there are loads of them headed our way, including the latest JetBlue became the first major air carrier to require passengers to wear masks if they are on flights 
Will the other major carriers follow suit? Joe Schwederman, professor of public services and director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University, addressed that on the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Uh, Joe, is there an expectation that JetBlue will not be the last and only airline to do this? I think that's right. There's always a uh, who-goes-first uh, game in the airline industry. But here I think we see masks are become more plentiful. You're not looking at wasting masks because uh, there's enough around. You know, JetBlue tends to have longer-haul flights, so they, uh, they came out of the box with this. It's funny, though. The other airlines haven't been real quick to match. Uh, United and Frontier require masks for their flight attendants. Uh, but so far, others are uh, still uh, still studying this. And is that going to be enough? I guess we don't know. We'll have to see to get passengers back on planes because they're they're cooped up in that chamber for sometimes hours. Well, that's a great uh, great point. And we know air quality on on planes isn't the greatest either. Ventilation. So if you do have a sick passenger, that's of course worst case. Uh, but I've been talking to people around, even bus lines. Uh, some of the bigger bus lines that run between cities are saying, you know, we think loads are light enough that we might be able to promise people to have an empty seat next to them or uh, an empty row behind them in some cases, at least require people to spread out. I think we're going to see that kind of culture emerge on airlines where reserved seats may go by the wayside if it's a light load and people to spread out because, uh, boy, it's, uh, it's clear that uh, the public isn't going to be ready to jump on board quite as quickly as we thought just due to the uh, the lingering nature of this. And yet there's a profit issue here, right? Can the airlines make money if they are flying planes with fewer people in order for them to be spaced out? Well, I tell you, we're all looking at uh, some of the language that came out of Southwest uh, uh, today, and they're they're really concerned. So they're hemorrhaging red ink and they're the rebound they expected uh, by July. They're becoming doubtful for that. Uh, they use words like traffic on some routes is non-existent, which is <laughs> pretty, pretty scary stuff. So, so we're seeing if you know the weather's getting nice, people are thinking about summer. Uh, there's some, you know, talk of bans being lifted, uh, stay-at-home orders that may improve things. But uh, today's news isn't great. Yeah, Southwest. I mean, they're an airline that just has this history of success and profitability. So if they can't make it work, I mean, it really is a warning sign for the whole area. Well, Southwest is like a, a big clock. It runs uh, so efficiently. They have one kind of airplane. They keep those in the air, and they just report pretty stable profits. So they're they're kind of the test case. If they're losing money, uh, others are probably hurting worse. So they've had that continuous profit streak, you know, dating back uh, about a decade, and that's been broken now, and the dividends may, may be cut too. Uh, of course, it's no surprise. Everybody's going to lose money. Uh, but uh, it is a bit of a wake-up call when we see that even a good February and January weren't enough to make up for a terrible March. wonder if we'll see more automobile travel for those shorter regional trips for a while. Obviously, maybe not the same if you're driving to California, but if you're heading to Indianapolis, Cincinnati, something like that, maybe people just get in their cars. I think that's exactly right, and I think that's why we're we're worried about uh, public transit, uh, inner-city bus travel, uh, short-haul Amtrak, because people do have the option to drive, and in the car you're, you're with family and you don't have those risks. And uh, airlines are a little bit in a better place for that. Uh, we're actually seeing cruise business uh, bounce back a little bit, which surprised us. Uh, but, boy, we just uh, if we lose the summer for air travel and bus travel, all these bailout packages aren't going to be enough. That's the situation with the airlines. What about the automobile industry? Many factories worldwide have been shut down, but now Ford says it will reopen European auto plants next week. They have many more safety protocols in place, and they're going to do the exact same thing here in the United States. 
Let's talk about that with John McElroy, automotive industry analyst, also host of Autoline.tv. He is based right in Detroit. John, tell us, what is Ford doing here? Well, in Europe, uh, it's not just Ford. It's a number of automakers are starting to reopen their factories. We've seen the same thing happen in China because they started coming out of the coronavirus earlier since they got hit by it first. In the U.S., it looks like the non-union plants were, are going to open next week. And uh, reportedly, GM Ford and Fiat Chrysler, the represented by UAW workers, will probably open on the 18th of May. What do safety protocols look like? Maybe they haven't announced all of the details here. What they're trying to do is keep their workers safe while getting production going again. That's exactly right. And that's kind of exactly what you might expect. So, for example, as workers come into the plant, they are supposed to maintain social distancing, you know, more than six feet apart from each other. They're going to be scanned as they come in with a thermal thermometer to see if anyone's got a fever. They're going to be wearing masks. They're going to be uh, having gloves. There's barriers in many cases being erected between workstations. They're going to be wiping down workstations before and after every shift. They're going to stagger every shift by at least half an hour so people don't walk past each other. And just to make sure, they'll have one shift coming in and out of one door and another shift going in and out of another door. So it's all the safety protocols that you might expect. And is that what we can expect here in the U.S. when factories get going again? Oh, yeah. No, that's exactly what's happening. And in fact, there's already a precedent for it. General Motors and Ford are making ventilators, masks, respirators, and things like that. They're paying UAW workers who have volunteered to come into the plants to work on that. And this is exactly the protocol that they're going through. So it's you know, almost kind of a dry run for how they're going to try to get production back to normal. Is there a sense that there is still the, the demand there, that they're still going to have the same output, or have things slowed a little bit since we've been shut down? Oh, no, it's a disaster out there, Cisco. This is going. We're going to see a massive drop in car sales this year. Uh, who knows what will happen uh, the next year after that, but no one expects this to bounce back. But here's why the automakers are desperate and their suppliers desperate to get open again. They're burning through cash. Even though they've laid off almost their entire workforce, shut down their factories, put all their executives on pay cuts, they're still burning through cash because they have such high fixed costs. So they need to get some amount of revenue coming in the door or, or they're headed to bankruptcy. Automobile manufacturers, airlines, cruise lines, all of them literally just fighting for survival. Join us next week for another edition of the WBBM In-Depth Podcast, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. And be sure to subscribe to receive this free podcast every Wednesday. And, of course, listen anytime for the stories that matter by listening to WBBM on the Radio.com app or on your radio. Thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Cody. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.